G'day all. Uh, I'm Dave, one of the student ministers here at Snack, and it's great to be with you now. Now, you don't know this about me, because I'm a pretty humble bloke, and I hope you do know that about me. Uh, you're not supposed to laugh, but that's okay. Um, I come from a proud line of henties. My mum's mum was a henty. And I don't want to make a big deal about this, but we're kind of a big deal. You see, the henties, they were the first people to bring sheep into Victoria. I know what you're thinking. How did I not know this about Dave, right? This is amazing. Would have been friends with him sooner. But there are some skeletons in the henty closet. Uh, They were really wealthy a few generations ago, and they blew it all. Don't ask me how. Nobody knows what happened. There's lots of theories that circulate around our family. Uh, None of them good. Last week... Uh, in the last few weeks, uh, we, we've been looking at our shared family of origin. We've been looking at where it all began. And last week, uh, we saw some skeletons in the closet in chapter 3. We saw that Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, and they brought sin and death into the world. This week, we're going to see what life looks like now, uh, now that Adam and Eve have been kicked out of the garden. It's a heavy passage for us to work through tonight. We're going to be taking up a close-up look of sin and its destructive ways. But if we're going to be living for Jesus, we need to be wise to the way of sin. So before we get into it, let me pray for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us these words in Genesis 4. Please make us wise to sin, that we may walk in the way of Jesus. Amen. All right, let's get into this story. So the first thing we see is that given, what's everything's, given everything that's happened, life outside the garden is surprisingly good. Adam's intimate with Eve, and as a result, Cain, the first ever child, is born into the world. I'll never forget uh, the first time that I met Daisy, when my eldest daughter, when she came into the world. Uh, we were at the hospital, and Maddie, my wife, was having a break, so we went to another room. And in those moments, I just remember this wonderful and overwhelming feeling, you know, as I came to grips with this new baby that's come into the world. Imagine being Adam and Eve, the first ever people to experience this. And what's more, it shows us that despite what Adam and Eve have done, God is still going to enable them to be his image bearers, to be those people that fill and rule and subdue the earth. Eve recognizes God's hand in this, and she says, verse 1, I have had a male child with the help of the Lord. Later, God blessed them with the second child, Abel, and as these brothers grow up, God gives them dignified work. Verse 2, then she also gave, uh, sorry, yeah, now Abel became a shepherd of the flocks, but Cain worked the ground. Life outside the garden, it seems surprisingly good. But all too soon, we see how Adam and Eve's sin plays out in the next generation. I've titled this section, The Beast of Sin. Let's pick up the story from verse 3. 
In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Each brother here makes an offering out of their respective trades. Cain from the ground, Abel from his flock. But there's a problem. Keep reading. End of verse 4. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Abel offered the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. In other words, he offered to God the best of the best. And God approved this. He said, this is good. But why didn't he approve Cain's offering? It's not something we're told in the story. Maybe Cain was holding back on God in some way. Maybe, you know, he just found some rotten, weak old crops and thought, this would be good enough. Here you are, God. We don't know. Uh, But whatever the reason is, Cain doesn't take the news well. Verse 5, have a look. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. I think Cain's a bit like a five-year-old child here, you know, who's, who's having an angry sulk. At the start, they get mad and they kind of just brew for a while and eventually they just start grabbing things and smashing whatever they can. Right now, we're in the stewing phase uh, with Cain. And so God, out of concern, he draws near to Cain. Verse 6, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? Why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? You see, Cain here, he's got this example in his brother of what it looks like to give an offering that's acceptable to God and to do what is pleasing to God. He just needs to follow that example. That's what God's telling him. But God also warns him about the dangers of pursuing what's not pleasing to him. Verse 7, he says, But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Sin here, it's a personified beast waiting at Cain's door. And if Cain chooses to act on his anger, he's welcoming in this destructive beast. Seems like an obvious choice, right? You know, if you have a monster at your door, you don't let it in, right? But sadly, we see that Cain does welcome it in. And we see another first for humanity. Verse 8, Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they're in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Just like that, the first murder in history summed up in one short sentence. And what's more, It was his younger brother, and he killed him. Cain has welcomed in the beast. And in the rest of this story, we see how this beast wreaks havoc. God knows what Cain's done, and he gives him an opportunity. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? Notice in the section, brother keeps coming up. Where's your brother Abel? But Cain just doubles down. He says, I do not know. Am I my brother's guardian? In this short response, we see how sin's taken a grip of Cain. He not only just stands there and brazenly lies to his creator, he renounces any responsibility to his younger brother. You know, at this point in time, Cain, he had two parents, he had one brother, a younger brother. He was supposed to look after him, and he says, not my problem. 
He became hardened and warped by sin. And God says to him, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's a haunting line, isn't it? Abel's blood cries out to the author of life. And what does it cry? It cries for justice. It cries for God as the one who is righteous to condemn Cain for what he's done. To take away another human life, it's always a great offence to the author of life. That's why as Christians we can never be okay with abortion or euthanasia. Only God gives life and only he can choose if and when he takes it away. And so verse 11, God says to Cain, So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you've shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. Fittingly here, the ground that's soaked with Abel's blood won't yield a harvest for Cain anymore. But even worse, Cain is cast out of God's presence. Even in this moment, Cain doesn't show remorse. He still just cares about himself. Hear what he says, verse 13. My punishment is too great to bear, since you are banishing me today from the soil, and I must hide myself from your presence to become a restless wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Cain here, he's worried that somebody's going to take a vengeance killing on him for what he's done. In some ways, he would have deserved this. But how does God respond? He says, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. God's being very, very merciful to Cain here. Now, people have argued, what is this, what is this mark that Cain has? You know, there's all sorts of theories we're not told. And my favorite is that it's, it's a, a guard dog of some sort that's kind of by his side and it, if anyone came to attack Cain, he just woof, woof, he barks at him and scares him off. You know, maybe, who knows, we don't know. Uh, but the point's pretty clear, right? That God is going to protect Cain. Um, he's undeserving, but that's what God's going to do. He's merciful. And with this protection, verse 16, Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, East of Eden. It's a tragic account. Cain cast out of God's presence. At the start, life outside the garden, it looked pretty good, surprisingly good. But we see here how Adam's sins left its mark on the next generation. And as, as Cain welcomed in this beast, there's been a total fallout. It's been chaos. Cain, he became an unrepentant murderer, cast out from God's presence. Abel lost his life. Adam and Eve lost both their children. And what's more, stepping back, we see a pattern here of what sin's doing to people across generations. We see how it's, it's hardening them to evil, but also how it's, it's warping and twisting what's good. This is most clear when we meet Lamech. He pops up at the end of chapter 4, seven generations on in Cain's line. And Lamech is just a real piece of work. Like Cain, he murders another man. This time it's out of retaliation. But what does Lamech do? Verse 24, 
he turns to his wives and he boasts about it. He says, look how good I am. Check out what I've done. Verse 24, he says, if Cain's to be avenged seven times over, then for Lamech it'll be 77 times. It's, it's such a wrong thing to say. In one breath, we hear how Lamech, he twists what's good and he celebrates what's evil. He boasts to his wives about taking another man's life. And at the same time, he twists God's act of grace towards Cain. You know, he thinks, oh, Cain did this bad thing, and he got seven times protection from God. So my thing, it's, it's not that bad. God will give me 77 times protection. That's how God works, right? He's just twisting God's mercy and God's grace. How could he get it so wrong? That's how sin works. It hardens us to evil. It twists what's good. And it does this across generations. Think about, think about how this has played out with Adam, Cain, and Lamech. You know, for Adam, when he disobeyed God, he knew he did the wrong thing. He ran from his maker. He was ashamed. And Cain, even though he lied to his maker, he was trying to cover up. He still knew he'd done the wrong thing here. But what does Lamech do? He boasts about it. That's how, that's how things move. People accept sin and then they celebrate it. We see that today as well. Take abortion, for instance. You know, previously people recognized there's something wrong about abortion. It's taking another person's life. Eventually people started to accept it. And now, today, it's, it's celebrated. It's, it's a sign of liberation. It's a sign of freedom, of individual rights. I told you today that, you know, this is um, a pretty heavy week. You know, maybe it's not what you wanted for your long weekend. But I'm glad we can wrestle through these words together because it's so important. If we're going to be people who walk in the way of Jesus, we need to be wise to the way of sin. We need to not walk in the way of Cain. We're going to tease that out a bit more in a moment. But before that... Last week, in chapter 3, Phil poetically showed us that there were some glimmers of grace. And we've got some more today. So let's have a look. We've seen how, despite Adam and Eve's disobedience, God's enabled them to be his image bearers, to feel and subdue the earth. And even with Cain, we see how God warned him, how he gave him chances. And even when Cain led in this monster into his life, God still gave him undeserving protection. But in verse 25, we see the greatest glimmer of grace in our passage. Let's take a look together. So after losing both sons, God blessed Eve with another son, Seth. And she describes Seth as another child, literally another seed. And I should just prick up at this point because we came across this word last week in chapter 315. There God promised to send a child to Eve in Eve's line who would crush the head of the serpent, the devil. And as we follow Seth's line till the end of chapter 4, we see it's going on a different trajectory to Cain's line. Verse 26, Seth has a son, Enosh, and we hear this. At that time, people began to call on the name of Yahweh. 
It's moving in a different trajectory to Cain. And as we continue Seth's line over thousands of years, if you want to know more about that, do the PTC course. See what happens over that time. But eventually Jesus steps onto the stage. He comes into this world and he is that snake crusher. He's the one who defeats the devil, sin and evil. And it's on this cross that Jesus sheds his blood for us. You hear how Hebrews describes Jesus' precious blood. In chapter 12, at 22 to 24, the author shows us this series of wonderful realities of the Christian life for all who come to know Jesus. And last on the list, end of verse 24, we have this. It says, We have come to the sprinkled blood which cries better things than the blood of Abel. Why does Jesus' blood cry better things than the blood of Abel? Is it because Jesus' blood doesn't cry for justice like Abel's? I don't think so. I think Jesus' blood cries this louder than anything else. You know, it's on the cross that Jesus bears the punishment for sin of the world. I don't think it's that. I think it cries better words because it it cries forgiveness. It cries restoration. We see how Cain was cast away from God's presence. He was a fugitive. But in Christ, we see how we can draw near to God as his children. We've seen a dark side of humanity today. And things are no different today. We live in a broken world. And so there's countless reminders of the need for justice, countless things that cry out to us about that. But only Jesus' blood cries these words, words of forgiveness, words of restoration. It's why we run the life course every term, and that's why Avril's going to advertise it soon, because we want everybody to hear these wonderful words of mercy. Because people won't hear it anywhere else in the world. It's only in Jesus. It's only by turning back to him, by putting their trust in him. If you're somebody here who hasn't yet done that, what's stopping you? Repent, put your trust in Jesus. Hear these words of mercy. If, if you are a believer here today, as so many of us are following Jesus, and you know these sweet words, remember what Jesus has saved you to. Paul puts it like this in Titus 2, verse 14. He says, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager to do good works. Who are we? We're Jesus' people. We belong to him And Jesus gave himself for us so we can walk in his way, in the way of love. And it sounds obvious, but if we're going to walk in Jesus' way, in the way of love, we can't walk in the way of Cain. We need to be wise to sin, wise to the way it works. We need to understand how sin can harden us to evil, how it can distort what's good. And we need to be people who aren't like Cain, who invite sin into our life. We need to be people who flee from sin, 
But we realize how destructive it can be to us, to the people around us, and to the people after us. We need to walk in the way of Jesus. So how could it be that Cain might creep into our church family here? I haven't seen any murders in my two years. Um, Good start, I think. I don't know what to say about that. But there's any number of ways that the way of Cain could creep into our, our service here, into our church family. And we're just going to press into one as we finish. So to finish, how are we responding to godly examples in our life? Remember, in our story, God encouraged Cain to pursue good. He had this godly example in his brother, and God said, follow that example. Do what's pleasing to me. But for Cain, he couldn't stand how his brother's godliness exposed him. And so he got rid of Abel. Are we ever at risk of doing that here? It's an unpleasant experience uh, when, when our life can be exposed. Uh, just a couple of scenarios. You know, maybe you're someone who has a tendency to share too much. Uh, and you, when you're in a conversation with someone who is quite careful uh, to use their words to build people up, uh, you realised you've got a problem with gossip. Or, you know, we've all been doing the generosity project in our gospel teams. Maybe you found out for the first time just how generous somebody else was in your group. And it made you realize there are areas of your life where you're stingy. When we have these moments, it can bring out all sorts of emotions. Uh, it can bring out anger, resentment, jealousy, irritation, self-pity, inferiority. And we can be tempted to respond in a Cain-like manner. Maybe we don't murder the person, but we find more accepted ways to do it, to get rid of this godly example. You know, we might, we might distance ourselves from them. You know, we think, if I just don't do life with this person, I don't have to be reminded of this in my life. Or, or maybe we just kind of underplay their example. You know, oh... This bloke is just a bit extreme. You know, he's a bit full on, those things he does in his life. Oh, you know, I think we're pretty good at this as Aussies. Maybe we just knock him down a peg or two. You know, we're really alert to those areas of his life where we can say, he's a bit of a hypocrite. Maybe we just mask, mask with a bit of Aussie humour when we call it out. Can you see how unloving that is? How that's starting to look more like the way of Cain. In these moments, we need to be wise to sin. We need to slow down. Remember, Jesus has mercifully saved us to be his people, a community of his people who eagerly seek to do what's good. And so give thanks to God for this brother or this sister because they're a gift to you. He's given them to you to encourage you to keep seeking out good, to keep seeking out good ways in this world. Follow Jesus. And maybe you want to name that good thing in their life that has made you feel a bit exposed or vulnerable. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, God, for Steve and for how incredibly generous he is with his money. 
or for Kathy and how she is so careful to use her words to build people up. Please, Heavenly Father, grow me in this area. Please help me to be a godly example so I can encourage others. That's the community that that Jesus has saved us to be a part of now. While we wait for him to come back. We're to celebrate good ways. We're to desire it. We're to seek it out. It's a beautiful community he's won us to be a part of. Don't walk in the way of Cain, getting rid of godly examples in your life. Instead, keep walking in the way of love, in the way of Jesus, whose blood cries better words than Jesus. Then I'll start that last line again, because this is the last line. (laughs) Instead, keep walking in the ways of Jesus, in his loving ways, whose blood cries better words than Abel's.